Welcome to The Tangent Tree. I'm Samantha Stephen. I'm Simon Dillon. And today we have a long anticipated podcast. This is something which I imagine everybody listening has their own top five list. This is this would have dominated your childhood in some way, shape or form. Even if you didn't watch this, you would have heard about it. And I'm sure as an adult, it was one of the first things that you did when you left your house, which is to watch Disney films. Of course. As well as eating dessert for breakfast. Or of course. First. Of course. So I think Disney is a foundational thing. It actually um, shaped a lot of our worlds in some way because they're childhood movies and they have a profound impact on us. They certainly do. There's certain qualms I have with Disney, which maybe I'll lay them out quickly. I have a few qualms too. Well, my qualms with Disney is they never quite go dark enough or they didn't initially. Classic Disney took some of the darkest fairy tales and was like, and now it's all rainbows and a happy ending and everybody ends up alive and and with the person that they care about, which is not true. No, but um, I think, to be fair to Disney, I think the early stuff is pretty dark. I mean, Snow White, Snow White yeah. Bambi, Dumbo, Pinocchio, Fantasia, they were not scared to do dark things. Yes, and but then it went through like an odd saccharine sweet one, probably about the 80s, I think. Well, there, well was that re, there was a redefining of Disney. Okay, well, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with you there either, actually, because I think I think there was, but I don't think it was necessarily in the 80s, because in the 80s you get curious things like the black hole. Yeah, but uh, those are things that Disney did not put advertising behind, didn't really want to draw attention to, and therefore weren't smash hits. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the black hole... It, sorry, I'm going to talk about the black hole quickly. That's okay, okay, go for it. So the black hole is almost as though... Disney wanted to make the darkest sci-fi film possible, you know, on the back of the success of Star Wars, because there were Star Wars-esque elements to it. But then the ending is kind of like 2001 A Space Odyssey, but like a horror film. I mean, it's... And it kind of... I honestly thought I was, I was flabbergasted but when I, I saw it. But I have to be honest, I've never seen The Black Hole. you never watched The Black Hole? No, but it's I think not it's, one of those Disney films which is... I know, but considered it's considered a classic. No, it's not considered a classic, but it's a very curious footnote. I mean, you know, it, honestly, I don't think there's ever been a darker Disney film to the point to the point that uh, you know you took Disney off the off the title of the film and you wouldn't know it anything mm. remotely to do with Disney. But it's a fascinating footnote in cinema history and one which is well worth rediscovery great music score by john barry as well just throwing that one huh, in there i'm gonna have to watch that one well the way we're gonna do this disney podcast is actually to go through our top five yes so i've got a top five and you've got a top five yes i don't know what yours are and you don't know what mine no. is but so should we do one each and swap so start with okay. you know, okay so you go first so in fifth place and this is very much a nostalgic one, which I imagine in terms of having a top five of Disney, it will, you could do a greatest list, but this is our favorites we're doing, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. So that's, that's just dear listener, understand this is our favorites. Yes. Um, so my fifth favorite is Lilo and Stitch. Okay. I think it is a dramatically underrated Disney film. I think that it wasn't one of their A-rated Disney films in terms of the highest grossing or anything like that, but I loved everything about it from the central theme, which is family. It's all about a family. Uh, Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind. Like that still has emotional feels for me. And it has emotional feels because my brother and I used to watch that on repeat as kids. Yeah, on hard he rotation. Does the best Stitch impression <laughs> in the universe. 
And I think for me, I love that film because it was about someone who was from outside being accepted as part of the family. It could probably be stood to be listened to in so the US ado- with current immigration policies. But well, you know, well, yes, and adoption allegories as well. Adoption allegories, immigration allegories, all sorts of things that it did. But then also putting Elvis music into a kid's film. It was a little bit quirky and ahead of its time. CIA conspiracies, FBI conspiracies, wanting to hide things from the public um, and all happening in the beautiful setting of Hawaii. So I think it was also quite progressive, which I know we don't normally talk about things being progressive, culturally and that kind of stuff, but because it did set it in Hawaii with the people and their heritage and what they where they were coming from, it, it Moana, which is a way more recent Disney film, did that much more intensely. Yes. Um, with the Polynesian heritage. But I do think it was ahead of its time in terms of not just having white Americans and their kids. Yes, no, I, and I agree with that. I mean, I was to be honest with you, I'd give me Lilo and Stitch over Moana any day. Mm. I'm just going to say that. I mean, no, by the way, Moana, I didn't have an issue with it. It was just that it didn't engage me in, in a way that... I, I thought it looked pretty and had nice songs and what have you, but it didn't engage me in a way that great Disney does. I think my favourite thing about Moana is the David Bowie-esque song that the villain sings, the I'm Shiny song. Oh, yes. I love that song. Was that the, was that the big crab? Yeah, the, the big yeah, crab. Yeah. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> yes. It's very david bowie yes but jermaine clement is known for bowie because if you've ever seen flight of the concords yes he is one of those uh two comedians and they do bowie impressions really really well well uh, from my perspective on lilo and stitch i have to be honest with you i've I've watched it probably once and i need to re-watch it it's a great so i love it i think it's wonderful and there's a certain film where he's reading the ugly duck part of the film where he's reading the ugly duckling oh great and it just makes you kind of well up inside and be like i'll adopt you stitch don't worry come home with me (laughs) after he's like decimated and obliterated an island and all sorts of stuff whenever i hear about the ugly duckling i always think of the you know the hans christian anderson film with danny Kaye, which it's interesting because that film is it's not a great film but the songs are amazing yes what's danny Kaye though i love danny Kaye. yeah well let's not get into a tangent about danny Kaye though no okay so that's my Fifth position. I love Lilo and Stitch. Okay. I think it's an excellent so, film. So, in fifth position for me... Yes. Okay, not an animated film. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, interesting. With uh, James Mason, which, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is an extraordinary piece of work that holds up really well today. In the 50s, of course, it was a huge event. I mean, it's a really spectacular, big-budget adaptation of the Jules Verne classic. Now, here's what I love about it. It does not dumb down anything in that film mm. it, it 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 rightly takes the the novel and says right let's present this to a you know forgive my use of an obscenity a family audience yes okay but it doesn't compromise any of it all the stuff about playing god and you know the 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 the, the sort of uh, science because obviously Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea was a science fiction novel okay i mean it anticipated a number of things like science fiction often does but um the central theme of the story about uh, you know the the, the bit bitterness and hatred of Nemo and his and the way he kind of plays God to sort of try and reassert control and so on and so on. He, he's a, a character with real pathos and tragedy, and I love the fact that they didn't dumb that down at all. And I also like the fact that um, see my children when they first watched it, they were quite conflicted because they felt more sorry for Nemo than they did for ostensibly the hero, the Kirk Douglas character, because they thought that the Kirk Douglas character had bad manners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's amazing. So, 
you know, he was sort of sitting having you dinner. You don't win and, the popular vote. You have bad manners. Yeah, I mean, it was hysterical, you know. Like, well, I don't like him because he's so uncouth, you know. <laughs> so, I think that says a lot about your children. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe it does. But, <laughs> but but actually, it was hysterical. But but they love the film, and, and it's been, you know, again, it's been shown several times in our household. And the, the attack by the giant squid remains a standout set piece. Mm. There are other great set pieces in it as well, but that one is terrific. Interesting. Um, I've honestly never seen it. Oh, you've, you need to no. see it. You need to see a it. Question for you. Were, you know the old school Dr. Doolittle? I can't remember the lead actor's name. Oh, uh, Rex Who's, Harrison. Yeah, Rex Harrison. Was that a Disney film? I, you know, I... I I think it was, but it I, feels uh, yeah, like yeah, it yeah, I think it was. That was my yeah. equivalent of like a twenty thousand leagues under yeah. the sea. If you, if that makes sense, with huge set pieces, with an interesting live yes. action take yeah. on things. I uh, don't know. If it let was me just say, twenty thousand leagues under the sea is much better. Okay, okay, interesting. And I would highly, highly recommend it. It's a, it's a staple of Christmas viewing. Okay. okay? And, and uh, you know, and, and I've heard there's going to be a remake. And you know what? Don't bother. You're not going to better what they did in the 50s. I mean, you know, yes, you can do it with CGI now. But so what? It looks fabulous what they did in the 50s. Yeah. The sets are wonderful. And, you know, as I say, James Mason's Nemo is just, he's he really gets the, the performance is great. Uh, this is a terrible thing. I know James Mason is a wonderful actor. But the first association I have with James Mason, whenever you say his name, is Eddie Izzard's impression of James Mason. Oh. That's the only thing that's <laughs> My head is James Mason. Okay, well, that's my number five anyway. So, okay. and on to your number four. Okay, so my number four, which I think you'll have a lot to say about, is Beauty and the Beast. Yes, you're right. What's and your number four? Uh, is my, it Beauty and the Beast? It's actually on my list as well. So why don't okay. you talk about it and then I'll talk about okay, it. Okay, so and this is on both our lists then. Uh, the reason, the primary reason that Beauty and the Beast was on my list is I remember watching that as a kid for the first time and going, oh my God, there's a girl who reads books. And that was the most stand-up thing. So she's not blonde. She has brown hair. I have brown hair. I can identify with that. Um, because normally it was always the pretty blonde girl, uh, let's take Sleeping Beauty, for example, um, who doesn't really look out for herself, is taken away by her father, and is made to sleep so that, you know, she can be a pawn in a power game. Like, I, I never thought that was in a particularly interesting story. I thought the score was nice, and I thought it was beautifully illustrated. Um, as an animation but Beauty and the Beast was different because this was a heroine who was the lead of her story and I loved that and I loved the fact that she actually got books out that she was um she beat out the pretty girls in the town because she was interesting does that make sense she was captivating she was magnetic not necessarily because she was beautiful even though Belly's pretty yes but she was captivating and magnetic because she had thoughts Okay. Well, I have a lot to say about this. Go for it. Okay. Um, I love Beauty and the Beast. Of the Disney films that came out between sort of 89 and probably 94 with The Lion King, sort of from between The Little Mermaid and The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast is my favourite of that era. On points. Okay. I actually think the songs in The Little Mermaid are better, but but on points, the Beauty and the Beast clinches it for me. Um, Why? I would have probably given it best picture for that year, in fact. Well, firstly, obviously, it's beautifully animated. But I want to pick up on what you said. Yes, the heroine is terrific. She's spirited, independent, introvert, book reader. So it's kind of tick, 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 as far as I'm concerned. And I love the fact that... I, mean, I just you know, find it refreshing. It is incredibly refreshing. But you know what? The character of Gaston. I mean, just <laughs> hysterical. You know, and that song, you know, no one's necks as incredibly thick as Gaston. I mean, the <laughs> lyrics are so funny. 
and but but you know what what's what's clever about it? I mean, he's a buffoon. He is, but he's completely. also a really nasty villain, and I love that about it as well. And I love I love the fact that it it does that it does really challenge. Oh, he's the... a nasty villain in a very plausible way. Yes. He's a nasty villain in terms of the boy next door could be a nasty villain exactly because he's nasty because he feels that he's been kicked off the pedestal that this person's not in love with him, therefore he's going to make them by manipulating, controlling, yes. and taking away their object of love. Yes. I mean, to be honest, he's the kind of character... I mean, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but they, I watched the film and I thought of one particularly boorish character that I knew in school who was two years above me in school, mm. who I knew growing up, and I, I just thought, this is this guy. It's a huge lack this of is... self-esteem and insecurity, which yes. is shown by their huge, pompous attitude of, I yes. am the best, the lack of yes. humility. Yes. And it, it, and to be honest with you, um, you know that that was one of the so that resonated with me. I also I'm a totally I'm a hopeless romantic. Okay, I, yeah, I know, you I'm, are. <laughs> so I I love the story and 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 hey, you know you can make Stockholm syndrome look romantic. That's great with me. You know. So, <laughs> so. But we should say that Stockholm syndrome is a very serious thing. If you feel like you or anybody listening could be impacted by this, you should seek help immediately. Okay, can I carry on ranting now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, th- this was the, this is the thing. I mean, I. I love the film. I also think, by the way, that um, the the songs are quite good. You know, there's an extended version. I have a DVD which has got two cuts of the film. There's an extended song with an additional uh, song. Uh, What's it called? Human Again. It's not in the cinema version, but it's in the DVD version. Um, I love it. I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's witty. I think that it's, you know, properly nicely tear-jerking. And here's the other interesting thing about it. Why... In the name of all that is holy, did they remake it? And I was just going to say, we have to talk about two other versions of Beauty and the Beast. Yes, we do. We do. And first of all, I've got to say this. I mean, I really disliked the live-action version. And I'll tell you why I disliked it. Because... They did nothing original with it yes. at all. It, it, it's 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 a because we can remake, okay? And I really, really disliked it. I was jumping on the bandwagon with their remaking, although I'm interested to see it. Dumbo and Tim Burton's directing it as live action. They did um, Maleficent, which was kind oh, of. Oh, but you a see, with Maleficent, with Maleficent, they did something interesting and different with it. Okay, yes. now it didn't quite it was from work. From the perspective of the yes, but it, it didn't quite work. I don't think, no. but it still was interesting, and uh, you know, at least it was a, you know a different perspective on but it. But I think they were cashing in on that cow. But it may be they felt that the original Beauty and the Beast was so perfect they didn't feel a license to change but any of it. Remakes. I mean, sorry, I beg your pardon. I mean, I just think remakes for the sake of remakes, obviously why do them cash, okay? But you know what? Re-releases, not remakes. Re-release the original film. I do like uh, Emma Watson, though. No, I don't, you see, particularly. No, No, I I mean, I've got to be honest, I'm not a fan, okay? I I do, I mean, you know, I think she, she, when in the first Harry Potter films... um, when she's younger, I think she's quite effective as Hermione. Yes. Although, although to be honest, I'm not a big fan of the of, of any of that trio. Although yes. Rupert Grint was okay. Anyway, never mind. We're getting into Harry Potter. Yes. But I will say that, no, I'm not a big fan of her. And I, and I honestly, I I just there was a lot about the film. It wasn't just her. It was the fact that the the, the sets looked really. I mean, they spent so much money on it. And how did it look so artificial? There is a much better version, remake, modern version of Beauty and the Beast, which is a French version. Yes. That was done. Oh, and I'm going to blank it. Early part of the 2000s. Monica Bellucci's husband. Yes. What's his name? Oh. He's a French actor. He's brilliant. Is it Vincent Cassel? Or? Yes. Yes. Vincent Cassel's in it, and it is un 
unbelievable. The, the, the cinematography is beautiful. The set design is incredible. Yes, I know it's in French, but get past your language bias. It is well worth watching. I think it came out 2011. Uh, early part of the 2000s. I can't remember precisely. And also, um, I'll have to check that Vincent Cassell fact. I think that's right. I'll yeah, have to, but, but it's, um, it's but worth I... watching. It's fantastic. And it is a much better remake of Beauty and the Beast. Yes, it and it's is. It's way more fairy tale. I felt that the remake wasn't fairy tale enough. Yeah, well, I mean, I... I it was trying to make it a factual, like, ooh, it plausibly could be have happened were, in real life, which, no. clumsy editorial decisions in it, too. Like, so, for example, in the, the emotional crux of the film when he's transforming back into a human, uh, it cuts between that and, you know, the silly thing with the candles and everything. And, the, and I'm like, why are you doing that? This, you're, you're undercutting the, the sort of the emotional core of the film. I, I think it's a, it's, it's a modern ADHD in cinema. We cannot stick with a feeling or an emotional moment without it being dubbed an artsy film. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, I understand. I mean, here's here's my problem. Okay, I, if if you're going to remake something, there should be a good reason for it. Now, I didn't mind the remake of the Jungle Book that they did because actually, obviously, that's been done a number of times. There's the you know, famous 1940s Alexander Calder version. There's the, the 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 one that everybody loves, the animated one from the 60s. But what that, with that one, they sort of took the 60s one as a touch point but also went back to the original text and focused on the wolves a lot more and more of an adventure aspect than a comedy aspect so they made it different yes and interesting they didn't do that with beauty and the beast and frankly i'm not i have very low expectations for aladdin and for all the other big budget remakes so the other version of beauty beast we should talk about is john cocteau's version la bella la bette which is a masterpiece which you suggested i watch a couple of years ago now i remember watching that and going holy Holy moly, this is incredible. It's an it's a monochrome gem. And one of the one of the reasons, I mean it's beautiful. The, the makeup's brilliantly done, the direction, the 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 use of light and and everything in the story is wonderful. But here's what gives it for me an additional edge. That film is almost in metaphorical terms about France under Nazi occupation. Oh, interesting. Because it was you know, it came out just after that, and it was almost like a country coming to terms with having been occupied. Yes. In a metaphorical sense. It's very, very interesting. Cocteau's and version. Kind of, of it. Stockholm syndrome again. Yes. Which is very, very interesting. And um, Cocteau, of course, was, uh, you know, he's an extraordinary director. There's actually recently been a re-release of Orpheus, um, which is a sort of curious version of the Greek legend, which, you know, I won't talk about that here. That's a big tangent. (laughs) But but Jean Cocteau, Well, if we were going to talk about it, we could go into La Diabolique and a whole bunch of other Cocteau... Bits that, and pieces. That's not Cocteau. Is it not? No, that's uh, Henry Georges Clouseau. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Similar strain <laughs> in terms of the black and white French films yes. that were interesting. Because I would say, I think the reason why I've linked those two films is La Belle et La Bette had a similar feeling of unease for me. Yes. Especially when she's going down the corridor and the, the arms with the candelabras oh, yeah. and stuff are moving. And it's just Oh, you know, you know, okay. I mean, just as a little really, really insane nerdy point of trivia on Cocteau. Okay. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you've probably never seen it, but if you, uh, you probably find it on YouTube. Uh, when Duran Duran went uh, sort of sort of split up in 1985 before continuing with just three of them, there was a, a side project that Simon Le Bon and Nick Rhodes did called Arcadia. And they had a song called Election Day, which I remember seeing the full length video for this song in the cinema before I watched The Goonies, okay? And it was inspired directly by Jean Cocteau's La Belle à la Bête, the visuals of it. And it looked incredible. Um, I mean, you know, it's 80s, garish, pretentious as hell, but 
you know, it was inspired by Cocteau. Mm. And so, yeah, if you're curious, Google, um, or rather look up on YouTube, Election Day by Arcadia. Watch the full-length version, okay? It's nice and sinister, I think. Um, and the song is, yeah, you know, it's not... It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's gr- not their best one. It's not their best. I mean, you know, there's better Duran Duran stuff, but it's Duran Duran in all but name, really. So my takeaway is Beauty and the Beast is an excellent film. The, yes. The animated version. Yes. Uh the remake that Disney did is not great. No. You should definitely watch La Belle La Bette. Yes. And I would put a vote in for the remake, the French remake. Which I would as well, by the way. I mean, I don't I don't think, I don't have quite the same reverence for it that you do, but I think, oh, think I it's, a, it it's an entirely serviceable version. Um. Okay, so. Okay, moving on. What's to, your fourth? Um, my, well, funnily enough, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, by the way, was my number three. Okay. But my number four is a curious one, which I don't think you'll have seen. Have you ever heard of a film called The Journey of Natty Gan? No. No, okay, now, like, do you remember what all. I said at the beginning of this podcast about Disney having a curiously dark period in the 1980s? Mm. Well, well, th- this was a film from 1985. It was not a hit. Um, it sort of has a... I don't think it's even had anything... Not really got a cult following either. I mean, you know, but there will be people who know what I'm talking about here. It is a wonderful film. It's set in the 1930s, and it's about a, a, a 13, 14-year-old teenage girl whose mother is dead and her father is, you know, in the Great Depression, struggling to find work. And through a series of unfortunate circumstances, he has to go across country to Washington State, I think, to get a job and has to leave her behind. And... She then runs away because of how she's being treated to try and join him. And it's a road movie. And along the way, she meets a wolf in the forest who befriends... Well, actually, it's not... No, it's not quite like that because she rescues this wolf from a dogfight, from a wolf-dog fight. And then afterwards he the wolf come finds her in the wild and helps her and they form this bond and it's it's a a girl and her wolf story like okay lassie uh, well can't, well not exactly <laughs> but, but but it's a road movie and it's also got john cusack in it who's a kind of romantic interest in the story and it's a lovely lovely film but it's very dark very edgy and i mean it, it it's got a rich 1930s atmosphere um, but I do think that the thing that's extraordinary about it is just how far they were prepared to push the envelope in a PG-rated film. Yes. Um, with, for example, some quite brutal sequences like the dogfight, like obviously they swear, and there's there's even an attempted, I would say attempted rape. I mean, kind of, she gets in a truck driver with a guy who... I yeah, 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 I mean, to be honest, it's a really, really great film. It's a, it's a good, you know, father-daughter story. And it's a proper tearjerker as well. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I've never it. heard of that film. The Journey of Natty Gan. I think it's fascinating how many Disney films there are. There's so much more than you would think. Yeah. Because obviously there are all the main ones, which mine are mainly main ones, that always get a look in. But there's yeah. also ones like this where you wouldn't necessarily have yeah, heard this of it. is not a well-known film at all but you can buy it on dvd oh by the way it has a lovely james horner music score i just want to say that as well i love the music score in it okay so your number three was beauty and the beast which we've talked about yes my number three is possibly a pixar film i can never remember but it's finding nemo yes that is a is pixar that pixar film. yes but you can say you can say you can have it well because they've i've got lots of honorable mentions for disney but the the lines often blurred between pixar and disney because they had such a close relationship i think we're going to allow pixar in this list okay so i i love that one which we don't have to talk too long because i'd actually prefer to do a pixar podcast okay well should we should we shelve pixar then because i've not i've not talked about pixar at all here because then what i would put in that place is mary poppins is that your number three then? yeah that would be my number three okay well 
That's actually my number two. Ah, interesting. So we keep doing this, like, yes. one ahead. Okay, okay, so let's talk about Mary okay, Poppins. Okay, you talk then. about Mary Poppins first. So Mary Poppins, I thought Julie Andrews was unbelievable. In fact, I would say that the film, for me, centres around her and her performance. Now, I read the books before I watched the movie. So I actually had a hard time initially with the film because I loved the book so much more. So the books for me were almost kind of witchy. Uh, in terms of if you've ever read the books originally you'll see that Mary Poppins comes across sometimes a little bit of a witch there's always something magic going on there's always something and they never there's never it's never pointed out nobody ever comments on the fact that it was magic nobody ever comments on the fact that it was fantastical it's just she's a nanny who can do these amazing things or make these things come to life or put you in these interesting situations or has odd relationships with gods goddesses in the sky etc I remember watching the movie and it felt like Disney shied a little bit away from the full-blown magic of Mary Poppins. And the books, have you ever read the books? Yes. So I loved, for example, the, in the book there is a chapter on the compass. Yes. Uh, and the north, it's a little bit racist now, but the northeast, southwest, and what comes from those corners of the compass, and they go on this adventure. So there's a lot more adventure in the book because they've got more room for this. Yes. Um, but I loved the film more because of after Julie Andrews' performance, Mr. Banks. Yes. And their relationship with him and as, a, as a father and his growth as a father from the beginning of the book, which I think is amazing. And it's very British. Yes. It's incredibly English in terms of its uh, first story of being a, a bank manager and a man who has a job and a nine to five and must be respectable and his children should respect him and honour him and be a certain way and the house should go... And then he has this kooky wife who's also a feminist who's marching for surrogacy, which actually was quite edgy and taboo. Um, and I think it's just a really interesting story on family and fatherhood, actually, for me. Yes. Well, my thoughts on Mary Poppins, um, of which I have many. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the greatest films ever made. And I'll brook no argument with that. Um, the thing about Mary Poppins is this. I Ordinarily, I would agree with you about the dark sides of the novel being toned down. I mean, that kind of thing normally annoys me. The Disneyfication, for want of a better expression. Normally, it annoys me. In this specific case, it doesn't, and I'll explain what I mean. I don't mind... You see, the principle of adapting any book, as far as I'm concerned, is if you decide you're going to do something totally different, you are allowed to do that only if you replace it with something brilliant. Okay, and in the case of Mary Poppins, I feel that they did that. They actually did water down all the dark edges, you're right. But what they end up with is so brilliant that you actually don't mind it. I think of the books as being in a sort of separate universe to the film. And I love the film for what the film is. I think Julie Andrews is perfect. I think that uh, it's genuinely magical. I think the songs are an embarrassment of riches. I think I'm, my... F you what's know, your favourite song in the well, film? Pro well, it's difficult. I love the melancholy of Feed the Birds. And that's my but, favourite song. But, but then I also love Let's Go Fly a Kite because it's so exhilarating. Yes. I mean, it's 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 a song... That song is... is is If you tested it scientifically, it's 24-carat joy. Mm. I mean, it just it's just such an exhilarating song. 
and such a great metaphor for joy. You know, let's go fly a kite. And I love that about the film. But the other thing that's forgotten is that the reason Mary Poppins is a genuinely great film is that you enjoy it in a totally different level when you're a child to when you're an adult. So when you're a child, you love the the sort of crazy magic, the chimney sweep, dancing chimney sweeps and, you know, animated world that they go into with the penguins and so on. Which, by the way, when you watch that sequence as an adult, you think, yeah, that kind of goes on a bit. But when you love it when you're a kid. Yes. But then you watch it as an adult and, you know, it moves you to tears, the plight of Mr. Banks. I mean, here's a man having a nervous breakdown. 100%. You know, who, who you know, and it's genuinely heartrending. And by the way, I know you, you talked about Mr. Banks, the, that, his whole character arc already, but it's also just as much about the mother and the fact she's just as neglectful, actually. Yes, I mean, is. you know, and I, by the way, I love the suffragette song and the, and the you know, the fact that they both come home and they're both in their own little worlds, aren't they? She's in her suffragette world and he's in his little banking world and with everything. And and, and the thing is, not, none of neither of them are in, in the real world. They're not seeing their children. Well, but the context of the 1900s, because this would have it's been 1910, about 1910. 1910, yeah. yeah. So the, the context of the early 1900s is that, it was a huge time of transition. So women yes. were in a Well, Victorian transition. to Edwardian, yes. But in that transition, children were still seen and not heard. That's right. So nanny did still bring the children down for a, oh, how do you do? How was your day? We'll talk for an hour and you'll go back to bed. You know, the seen and not heard thing fascinates me because I'll tell you a story what my grandmother uh, witnessed this, okay, where I think it was her brother. was uh, It was the seen and not heard family dinner and the children were not allowed to speak. And the, the brother, my, my great uncle, had noticed a maggot crawling on a piece of lettuce on the plate of the, the guy who, you know, presumably their father, okay, like I think it was their father. And he wasn't allowed, he said, I've got to tell you something. No, you can't speak, you can't speak, you can't speak. After the meal, you can tell me, okay. And so they had their meal and he ate the maggot that was on the lettuce. And then afterwards, he said, now what did you want to tell me? And he said, well, there was a maggot on your lettuce, but you've eaten it now because you wouldn't <laughs> let me tell me. You know. mm, protein. So, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, that's why seen and not heard is always a ridiculous thing. I think it's a wonderful film. And I think Julie Andrews does an amazing job. And maybe this is a taboo thing to say. I prefer Mary Poppins to The Sound of Music in terms of Julie. Andrews. No, I don't think that's taboo at all. And in fact, I would agree with that. I love Sound of Music and yeah. I think it's wonderful. Because uh, it's not think a Disney film. No, I know. But I think in terms of Julie Andrews, she's always magnetic in her performance and her singing. Yes. Like, uh, is it Victor Victorilla? Yes. That she's in? She's fantastic yes. in that and completely a different side of Julie Andrews than you'd expect. Yeah. But Mary Poppins for me, the way you know she, she... Sorry, I interrupted you. The way on. she sings as a performance is amazing yeah i was just going to say i agree with that totally and i just just wanted to add did you know that she was going to do uh the audrey hepburn role in my fair lady at one point? yes i did, you know, did that. know that okay mm -hmm. so i agree with you completely i think with mary poppins as well um it's so iconic now and so beloved by multiple generations. A lot of people are nervous about the new one. I know, I'm very nervous about it. Uh, we'll obviously review it impartially, but I have to be honest with you, anything less than a masterpiece is a failure because nobody wanted this sequel, nobody asked for and it. And to no, be fair, you know, Emily Blunt has said she's terrified. Yeah, well, Emily Blunt, I think, is terrific, but, you know, she's not Julie Andrews. It's like I said, it's such an iconic role now. Um, by the way, this P.L. Travers, you know, she did not like the film. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, there is the film, what was the one that was about Oh, Saving Mr. Banks, yes. yes, yes uh, and Disney's relationship, which yeah. actually is quite a good film. I actually, it's a very I good, love Tom yeah. Hanks and I love, um, oh, why am I blanking on her name? Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, I think she's yeah. amazing. Um, but And they do a great job in that. And I know that, 
there's a fair amount of elements in that are actually true to history. Yes. Um, even down to her relationship with the songwriters who did such an amazing the job with the film. Yes. And she just got so... At, but that's because for her it was personal. Yes. Well, I, I understand... Whether she'd acknowledge that or not. Well, the thing is, I think that they were both right in a sense. This is a classic... But the thing is, Dis, what Disney did was he got away with it because, as I said at the beginning, he replaced it with something great yes. in its own right. And that's true of any adaptation. If you can do that, it's like, I don't know, Hitchcock's The 39 Steps is nothing like the novel, but it's great in its own right. And I think that if you do that, you can get away with it. And, and that's how you get away with a remake, folks. Exactly. And you know what? Saving Mr. Banks is a fine companion piece. It is. I'd recommend that too. Okay, okay, so next. So that was your number two, right? That was my number two, yes. Okay, so my number two is Alice in Wonderland. Okay. I love Alice in Wonderland. For me, as a child... I always used to get... Because when I was growing up in the 90s, there was always massively heavy princess movies. And it was yes. all about Disney princesses and what they're going on with and who's the best Disney princess, who looks the prettiest, all this kind of stuff. And then Alice in Wonderland knocks that out of the park. Now, and so now I was always the weirdo in school who was like, what's your favorite Disney movie? Don't you love Princess Jasmine? Don't you love Ariel? Don't you love this? And I was like, I like Alice in Wonderland. Exactly. And it freaked other kids out because they couldn't understand it, which I don't think Alice in Wonderland really is something that you understand intellectually. Well, I think exactly. I think Alice in Wonderland is, is the, the, here's the great thing about Alice in Wonderland. Okay. It's about the chaos of life. It doesn't make sense. Mm. And it's about, it's metaphorically, it's coming to terms with that. The world does not make sense. It's a lunatic asylum. Mm. You are never going to understand it. And I think that's the brilliant metaphor that's well, in Well, because it almost at the beginning of the film and the book, if you read it, she pokes fun at rationality because it yeah. starts with a lesson and she's reading by yeah. the, the, the river and she falls asleep. Yes. Or down the rabbit hole, if you like. And it's all about turning rationality and logic on its head. Yes. And saying none of this makes sense really, but it's a journey of self-discovery. Yes. Well, and empowerment. And, and opium. Think, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest, it's a wild drug trip. Yes, well it is. I mean, you know, floating cats and, you know, mad hatters and so on. But I do I do think that by the way, I'm just to clarify, you are talking about the animated film from yes. you know, not talking about the recent remake. No, no, no. Just making that clear. Yes. Okay, so that's this. I I, I mean I don't have any strong feelings attached to that film. I'm fairly sort of whichever, you know, I think it's a good film, but I, I certainly wouldn't have picked it as a favourite, but you've got some very personal reasons there. For, they are very personal reasons, yeah. but I also liked the evolution of the character of Alice because she starts out as this spoiled brat who's incredibly selfish and is very... But in a in a unoffensive childlike way, because yes. when you're a kid, it's all about you, all about what you want, and immediately what's happening to you and your environment. Yes. It's not about your parents' big problems with this or that. Or no, this I, or I, that. I totally agree. It's about with that. you, and she is very much in that, and it takes this her on this journey of nutsness. Nutsness. <laughs> that ought to be a word. <laughs> but it takes her on this crazy journey where she has to start to go and think about other people, the impact of her decisions and choices, um, and also how to position herself in terms of when somebody's going around chopping off people's heads, how does she feel about it, and what's she going to do about it? Yes. Things like that. So it pulls her out of herself. And I yes. think it's a really interesting aspect of childhood, which maybe we don't talk about a lot, which is we all have to go through a transition where we stop thinking about just us. Yes. 
And that for me is what's interesting about Alice in Wonderland. Plus all the weirdness. I yeah. just like the weirdness. Yeah. I just nope. liked the odd birds and the weird cats. And... The, the weirdness is great. So, um, so that was number two on your list. Yeah. Okay. So let's have your number one. Okay. So my number one. Wait, you do your number one. Okay, first. I'm going to do my number one. I think we've talked about this already on a previous podcast. Okay, but I'm just going to say Bambi. Oh, interesting. So because it's not the same as my number one. Which no, well, is good. well, the thing is, the thing is, I just want to, as a, as a kind of okay, I I could pretty much pick any of the the great five of the classic Disney era, by which I mean Dumbo, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and mm-hmm. Bambi. For any number of reasons. Yes. Okay. In fact, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, I was tempted to go with purely because it was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is an amazing piece of work. However, I've gone with Bambi on points. Um, now, I love Bambi. I think Bambi is, first of all, it is staggeringly beautiful. In terms I don't of, like Bambi. I know you don't. And you're <laughs> wrong. Okay. Um, it is staggeringly beautiful in its animation. I love the Circle of Life narrative, yes. which was later poached for The Lion King. You know, I always say The Lion King is Bambi meets Hamlet. Yes. Okay. Um, but it's, I love the simplicity of it. I love the characters in it. I mean, Thumper is hysterical. And I love the fact that it's so damned traumatic. I lo- you know, it dis- it's a brave film, you know, the, it, introducing to children the, the, the fact that life is actually temporary. And, you know, that your mother can suddenly be taken, you know, your mother can't be with you anymore. I mean, you know, to, to the sound of te- traumatised tears everywhere yeah. from, from children. And yet it's done in a way that I think is very brave and very appropriate. And then it also talks about puberty and, you know, the getting Twitter-pated, remember? I mean, that yes. whole thing is hysterical and, and, and you know, the the, the, the fight with the, that he has with the, to, to compete for the, for the what's her name? The, 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 the female. Oh, I can't uh, remember. In, in the, I can't remember the name now. But, um... But here's my what I love most about it. I think I love the fact that there's it's a very strong environmentalist undertone to Bambi, where you know man is the menace, mm. but he's an unseen menace, and he's a terrific villain. But you never see him; you just see what he does, or you hear the gunshot, or, or the you, effects, or the, the, or the terrifying forest mm. fire at the end. Which you know to this day, I mean, it's so vivid. Those images are so vivid in my head when I think about it. It's it's an incredible piece of work. It's a beautiful piece of work. I think it's wonderful, and you are wrong. See, my stronger Disney film that I think is a better Bambi is The Fox and the Hound. I like The Fox and the Hound. For me, The Fox and the Hound is a better film in terms of the emotional punches it delivers. I think it's stronger in terms of a narrative for kids because it's it's widely applicable. It's the loss of friendship and actually fighting for what you believe, lack of peer pressure, all that kind of stuff. So for me, I, Bambi is never... I just It's never been a film that I've been particularly... But it is an indisputably it, it is an indisputably great film, and it is also one of my favourites. There's another one of those <laughs> crossovers. You're like, me. do not hate this film. <laughs> do okay, not cross me on this. <laughs> my number one film is Fantasia. Oh, okay. I love Fantasia. Okay, well, explain why. I'll watch Fantasia all day, every day, still okay. to this moment. I watched it for the first time when I was about six, and I remember watching it and going what the hell is going on here? Because it wasn't like any other film I'd ever seen because it's it's almost like um, sitting down to listen to an orchestra in terms of they're performing different, literally in the film, they do this, but they're performing different famous pieces of music. Yes, an anthology. In blocks. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's what this film is. It's, it's not one narrative that goes into the other, but I thought the creativity in terms of picture... And its relation to music was beautiful. 
And I loved that. Okay, I agree totally. So for me, it moved me because it made me realize how strongly and impactful a score can be. Yes. And what I loved about Fantasia is when you're really looking at it, the key player is not what's going on visually, it's what's going on for you via audio. Yes. And that changes everything. And you realize the impact because it, in the early early part of it where you see the different colors that come on screen. Yes, well, the abstract yes. instrument is yeah. put on place. And that, I think, is just powerful. But my favorite is the culminating scene on Bald Mountain. Oh, yes. With the devil. Oh, terrifying. It is terrifying. And the souls of the dead resurrecting and all that kind of stuff. And my favorite comedy moment is when you've got the ballet hippos oh, the dark, and the, and the, the, the ostriches the, yes. and all Well, I agree with you completely, first of all. Um, I love that film for a number of reasons. It was a major introduction to classical music for me. Yes. As it was for my own children, by the way. I agree with you completely on the... um, Well, it introduced me to the idea that classical music tells a story. Yes. And also, I love that, as you say, the abstract imagery that appears during when they do the, the, the Bach sequence at the start, which, again... I think it's like the experience of going to a classical concert. You do start to sort of... um, you know, you don't really see the orchestra anymore. You start to see colours, and at least I do, okay? Well, I think the, the um, genius of the film is that it basically introduces you to the actors by introducing you to the instruments yes. and giving them random abstract yes. analogies. And then what it does is it p- takes you to a different story so that you're now visualising those instruments and actors. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously every the, the, the most famous sequence, probably the, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which you kind of, people have, very probably most familiar with yes which is still very very funny and for me that's my least favorite out of all of them and you know you know that's interesting because um i mean being me being who i am obviously my favorite sequence is the terrifying one at the end yeah i mean it it really and by the way that i know that was a sequence that massively traumatized steven spielberg did it as a child yes which i think is brilliant but but the interesting thing about it as well is uh on a a spiritual level it is about the triumph of good over evil as well because you then you have the ave maria thing and it's light banishing darkness and so it does have you know again i'm all for terrifying the living daylights out of children but you do end with a positive reassurance well, an easy analogy yeah. for that is in lord of the rings where you've got the battle for helm's deep and then you see gandalf come with the morning yes with the dawn yes and it's the dawn that breaks the battle or the darkness yes and, and the I, yoke of oppression i know and I, but I love all of that and i think that's that the imagery and everything is terrific well not only did it introduce me to classical music it introduced me to mythology Yes. So there's the amazing scene where you've got all of the uh, centaurs. Oh yes, the Greek gods. Oh. <laughs> and they're having an orgy. Yes, I'd just I like know. To point I know. That all, out the t- in a all the uh, all the topless girls as well. <laughs> the, yes. No, no, no. I, I I think it's great. I mean, I I love that. I didn't click on that as a kid, but as an adult, I'd be like, can I let children watch this? I this know. Is, this kind of it's not, but it is kind of pervy and pornographic. I know. But what's quite funny about it as well? Did you know it's been recent? The recent versions that you can get now are slightly censored because they were um, black skinned centaurs serving the white skinned oh, centaurs they I didn't they they, that. they were they have you there are a few videotapes of the old version floating around but um i mean i've seen both versions but it's not it doesn't make a huge difference but they have slightly censored it now i think it's fascinating but for me that's my number one yeah it's my number one just because it introduced me to so many different cons concepts and i could get on board with it at such a young age yeah and it i would say that fantasia is possibly a movie that changed my life in terms of piquing my curiosity for a much wider 
area of subjects than I would would have been interested in at a young age. Does that yeah. make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. So it introduced me to mythology, classical music, um, kind of the dark side of life in terms of grim fairy tales with the bald mountain, um, and magic. Yeah, well, all of that's true. And as I say, I think I felt that same way when I was growing up and my own children. I so think, that's my number too. one Disney film. Well, that's fair enough. That's a, that's a good choice. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, for those of you who are listening, our time is up on this episode of The Tangent Tree. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Simon and I were discussing before, we are positive we'll do many more Disney episodes. So if there's anything about Disney that you would like us to talk about in particular then please go ahead and tweet us or join our Facebook group and let us know on Facebook. And also go to our website and look for some blogs around Disney. I'm sure we'll do a couple. Um, But thank you so much for joining us on The Tangent Tree. I'm Sam. And I'm Simon. And we'll see you next week.